Welcome to Moving the Rock. Whether sales is all you do or only part of what you do, the strategies and tactics of success can often feel split between two realities. You can become someone you're not to earn the recognition and praise of people you don't respect, or you can try to figure it out on your own, knowing you'll underperform your potential. We're here to offer a third way. The idea that you can't have success without compromise is just wrong. You don't have to compromise to win in the long term. You can play the game in such a way that you win in the short term and the long term. Through our hard lessons learned, we can shift your way of thinking and create a better way. I'm Chris, founder of SightShift. And I'm James, founder of Florist Group. If you're tired of the status quo, we're here to help you move the rock on your career, your business, and your life. Welcome. All right, Chris, uh, I'm going to open today's conversation with a story. Uh, yeah. But before I do, welcome, my man. It's great to see you. Thank you. Again. Um, so the story goes like this. Uh, not uncommon for me to talk to a CEO about what more they can achieve for their business and for the people in their organization. And... We were talking about their sales organization, and I asked the question, how much more effective can your sales team be? And they went right into a defensive posture, right? Hey, sales team is great. It's executing on all its numbers. We're hitting our numbers. Things are great. People love to be here. You know, no, no challenges, no issues. I said, great. Now, of course, there's lots of questions I can ask, but I asked the question, um, what is the what is the standard for success in your organization? Well, it's activity and deals. I said, okay, great. And what's the standard of excellence or uh, success for your company? It's closing and retaining customers. And I asked the question, um, how well aligned is your high-performing sales organization with your company's overall objectives of winning and retaining customers. And she thought that was a strange question. And I said, well, look, and she asked me why. And I said, here's the, here's the reason why. Oftentimes, high-performing sales organizations believe there's only one way that they can be high-performing, which is to approach their job um, as one where they are practicing a zero-sum game. She's like, what do you mean? Well, do you have battle cards? Yes. Do you have this concept of... Um, winning scalps or bringing in scalps? Do you have this kind you know, I went through the litany of examples of how sales teams adapt and adopt words that are battle-centric, competitive-centric. And I asked her, how do you think your customers feel when they are, they are working with a, with a salesperson who is approaching this engagement as a battle or as a competition for who can win and who's going to lose? How many times do you think a salesperson, a customer is going to want to talk to one of your salespeople if that's how they operate? When a, when a client drops you and you call them to bring them to uh, to to have them sign up again, how often do you think they're going to want to engage in a process much like the one that they experienced originally? Mm. And so the question is, you know, we all, we we know that people people love to buy and they hate being sold. The question is. What kind of experience does your sales team give to your customers? And so what ends up happening is that, that, that CEOs look at this as an expense they're willing to incur in order to drive short-term or transactional revenue objectives. And there's a misalignment 
that exists between the way sales operates and the way the company measures its own success. And so the question back to her was, when we talk about effectiveness, we're not just talking about hitting numbers. We're talking about how do we help the sales team perform in a way and reach, reach a level of potential that far exceeds where they are or what could be achieved through this transactional mode and really help then, of course, help the organization um, operate at its potential. And then when we got deeper, we found, yeah, you know, there are a lot of things going on inside this company that are, that, that are happening because the team isn't operating well. For example, they have, they're hiring, they probably have maybe twice as many salespeople as they need, meaning they have salespeople who are underperforming in real, in real terms. And so to, to make up for that, they're hiring more bodies. Well, what if those folks could be more efficient and effective? What would make them more efficient and effective? Potentially a, a new process, new methodology, a new way of approaching their work that isn't bound by a transaction, but more bound by a holistic impact on the organization. And that kind of that conversation, conversation began to open up her eyes and uh, it opened up a whole bunch of opportunities for, for us both. That's beautiful. I mean, it's it's something that my kids could probably say, what's dad going to say when this comes up? I'll use the word system, but meaning process. You know, you're parenting and all this change is happening and then an issue comes up that you've got to solve. you got to get this uh, situation resolved. Well, I'm asking immediately, what's the system that led to this? What's the system that will fix this? What's the process that led to this? What's the process that will fix this? Rather than just running up to their room and throwing energy at it, right? Right, right, So, right. So this example you're using, they're throwing energy at it, they're throwing bodies at it, they're throwing resources at it versus throwing awareness, intentionality, undercovering what's really going on. And so, yeah, what a beautiful story that uh, for me... It's endless application. And what's sad to me, though, is how much it's not applied in sales. Just like you're saying, the bravado, the machismo, the hype. And uh, it's it's just out of balance with, A, how the world wants to interact with people in sales. But B, we could be really abstract and conceptual with this, but I'll keep it on the street. How society has evolved. Right. We, we like an energy that is both masculine and feminine, that, that has the yin-yang of it all. And when it only has this aggressive, domineering, conquest kind of energy, yeah. Right. You're gonna, who are you going to attract to that kind of environment? Right. And or, yeah. Exactly. And that's the kind of thing that we, we talked about. The only people who would, the only kind of buyers that are going to respond well to a sales approach that is domineering and they they she used the word author, author authoritative right it's like we want to present ourselves as experts which means we need to present and present and present our expertise which means we have to roll through the script which means we have to um you know dominate or take control of that conversation and the you know and i said well look how would you feel if someone called you and attempted to dominate you in the context of a purchasing decision. Would you enjoy that or not? And she's like, well, I'm not part of our core market, so it doesn't count. Okay, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> but, but you're maybe, a human. But maybe, it, maybe 
maybe, you know, so the question is, you know, they're doing it because it's always worked. Mm-hmm. The question is, you know, if, if, there are, if you agree with this concept that people love to buy and hate to be sold, um, and you're wondering how much more effective your team can be, then maybe it's worth exploring the potential of an approach to sales that isn't a zero-sum game, but focuses on the positive-sum game that rise, raises all boats, that yeah. makes the transaction a win for both sides. Maybe something like that could motivate your team even more. Maybe something like that could attract even more customers, produce more referrals, produce better references and case studies, bring people to work who are more motivated to be human versus robotic, you know, hatchet men and hatchet women. I mean, yeah. what do you think? Dude, I, I, I'm so inspired right now. I have a term to run by you to call it. It's going to revolutionize the ability for people to understand it, our ability to talk about it. Here it is. It's something you never thought about before. This is it. It's servant leadership sales. Uh, now, for any listeners, they got to know this, that you uh, have championed that term. And I actually was reticent at first for my own issues that weren't related to sales. But the more we journey together talk about this uh, through the podcasts, our partnership, the work we do together, the more I'm captured by that term. It, it, it says perfectly what it means to live in this reality of the yin-yang of what sales impact could be at its best. Mm. I, you know, it's, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, we have talked about servant leadership, but I think the second episode of this, of this podcast addressed it. But I'm, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to connect with you on this in a different way. As I work, I work with all levels of sales executives, salespeople, um, zero years experience, 30 years experience. Um, to a person, the only, they, to a person they have, they have one thing in common across the board is this ambition. And I think to myself, imagine, imagine a team of ambitious people, how are you going to inspire them even more? So how could a CEO inspire a team of ambitious people? Is is the maximum level of inspiration one where we say, I want you to go take as many prisoners, I want you to go win as many battles, I want you to go slay as many dragons, and here's your comp plan. Go get him, Tiger. Go kill. Feast on the marketplace. The other approach is this idea of setting a setting a vision for something bigger than any one of us, a vision for how we can change perceptions, how we can change the way people are treated. Um a vision for how we can operate in a way that's a multi, that produces a multiplier effect versus taking things from people. A, a way of operating that makes us feel like every day we're doing something good and we're adding something to our community and developing something for ourselves in that positive some way versus that zero-sum game that that we could play, which every day puts us in a situation where at the end of the day, I could be a winner or I could be a loser. Mm -hmm. And 
whether I win or lose affects exactly how I feel about myself and affects the attitude that I take home with me at the end of the day. It affects the attitude I go to work with at the, at the beginning of the day. Today, am I going to be a loser or a winner? Whereas practicing the servant leader approach allows you to create that aspirational vision for how you can perform and generate growth in a holistic, humanistic way that, again, serves your customer as well as yourself. Yeah. I mean, imagine the cultural dynamics created and imagine what could be created with an organization that's really testing themselves or measuring themselves against something that big. I've seen it in my own life. I know we've seen these transformations in the people we work with. When somebody grasps positive sum game, they're they're not doing what you do when you're playing a zero sum game, uh, which is when you're playing the zero sum game, you shut out your best creativity because you think, oh, this is all there is. I got to get my piece. This is this. The pie is here and it's limited. When you go to that positive sum game, you become so creative. You're able to see like you've never seen before and you understand in reality the pie is infinite like this isn't hype because we live in america and we have privileged first world experiences this is a fundamental reality throughout human history it's been recorded through different civilizations that there is a mindset when you understand i will find a way through this problem and and i will find a better way so it's this zero sum switches to positive sum you're not in a scarcity mindset. You're not fear-based. You're seeking to give. You're seeking to impact more than try to make an impression or take. Now, here's what's cool, because I've seen this in my life and, and this shift. This positive-sum game leads to, to this best way of playing, a long-term game mindset. Everything's about the long-term game. Uh, you know, I, I can't lose that game. Because that, that game only requires one thing, me being my best, living my truth. And when I do that in sales and in leadership, I'm constantly in a place that I have a clarity where others would feel confused, that I have a peace where others would feel powerless. What's the long-term play here? That's what I want to make. Right. And one of the challenges, Chris, I'll put this back on your plate, a lot of growth company CEOs, when they hear someone talk about the long-term game, they think that they that, that is in place of a short-term win. Mm. So the question, the question always comes, the next question always is, well, what about my short-term game? I mean, I have to bring in deals to keep the lights on, to keep my company growing, to keep my valuation going. Do I have to give up one to get the other? Yeah. It's, uh, have they ever played pool? A, a, a novice, a beginner pool player is playing the play. The hustler, <laughs> and I mean that in a positive way, not negative with the kind of words we're using, but the person who actually knows what they're doing is is playing that long-term game. They're seeing angles upon angles upon angles. Uh, and what is so powerful when you play, that's still a, a short game. You know, so when, when we say long term, we're not meaning 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years. It can mean that. It can also just mean I'm playing the long term game. I want to go to bed in peace. I want to feel good about who I'm becoming as I sell. I want to feel good about who I'm becoming as I interact with the customer. Um, 
I think about your transformative story you've shared on the podcast before about, you know, closing that big deal and feeling sick because you're accomplishing the result, but you're losing, you know, the short-term game and then you end up losing the long-term. So think about the time sequence there. Yeah, you got to bring it in. Yeah, you got to deliver on the quarterly earnings. These are real pressures, real results that anybody in the game, and I'm putting air quotes around that, knows that pressure, but, but segment the time just beyond closing the deal. That's the key. Right, right. And we talked about this last time too. Uh, another example of short-term versus long-term thinking is this idea of investing in, as we open up the, you open up your, with these comments around the hustle, the effort, mm. the sweat, the grind, having that play and replace investments in systems and processes, right? An investment in a system and processes and a process, that's a an investment for the long term. They work in the short term. They produce immediate results. It's just that we're we're developing a systematic approach and a predictive approach that everyone can follow, which will eventually um, you know, build equity in the team and in the business. But if we're all ever just trying hard, bringing heroic efforts in every day, that short-term transactional thinking never really builds any equity. We become just a, a, a herd of cats that has to be, that has to be organized and, and herded every day and can't be managed, can't be organized, can't be leveraged. So yeah. it's another way to think of it. Yeah, I, it's like the endless metaphors uh, that play out over and over and over again. You know, if you think about the way they do with forest fires, they do a controlled burn. It's a system, it's a process to help. If they don't do that, the fires can be more dangerous. But when they fight the fires, they still have to fight it systemically. They can't fight it sporadically, you know. So if I'm fighting fires as a parent, because I think the parenting example can be great, because when in doubt what to do as a sales leader, do what a healthy parent would do, right? When you're leading a team of sales professionals and you wonder what you should do, what would a healthy parent do? So do you fight fires as a parent sometimes? Sure, of course. But like we never fought over them doing their chores. Why? Because there was a process. If you don't do your chores by Saturday at noon, you don't have your phone for the week. Well, guess what? Chores were always done. They had their phone. I honestly, like it just didn't happen. Um, and so, so you think about how much time you spend fighting fires because you don't have a process in place. Or the, the other side of that, the, the, the positive, you're not growing like you want because you don't have a process in place. If my wife and I only went on, and this isn't to shame anybody, it's just a process. If my wife and I only went on a date when we felt like we absolutely had to have it and needed it, think about all the pressure that that puts out on that date, <laughs> you know? But instead, if there's a process, we can actively advance the relationship and keep our connection through whatever's occurring. Process. Yeah, that's awesome. So, um, so servant leadership, this idea of, of, of as a servant leader, as I'm serving shared goals and leading folks down a shared path to change, because when people buy, they're buying change. They're buying into something that they don't have mm. or to continue something that, that they want to have, that they don't want to uh, end. So people buy when they're ready, willing, and able to change. Um, growth multipliers... Uh, are 
being at Broke Growth Multiplier is, is a natural outcome of being a servant leader. Because as a servant leader, we are serving the shared goal. So by virtue of having a successful transaction, both parties gain something from that transaction that multiplies the growth uh, impact of that transaction, not only because both parties win, but also because um, we're more likely to do business together in the future. So instead of being a salesperson, so this goes back to the challenge I made to that CEO, why don't we think about, instead of just raising and developing salespeople, what if we thought about raising and developing growth multipliers? What if we reset the expectation for not just closing transactions, but creating business that is going to really enrich this organization, bringing in customers who are really going to be our highest profit, highest margin type customers, bring in business that's really going to create the foundation for an accelerated growth curve that can not just accelerate revenue, but multiply value. What about that? Mm. Well, and over and over for me, it comes back to that idea, a real servant leader will bring that multiplication. So we're not seeing the loss of resources that you opened up with. We're throwing bodies at this problem. We're seeing the multiplication of resources. And that, that difference between vision and reality, it's a resource gap that fills that, right? Anybody listening to this that's led anything ever, there's always a gap between the vision and the resources. The vision outpaces the resources. And that's a struggle and that's a challenge. And that's part of the loneliness of leadership in, uh, in anything. Well, how powerful is it when you have an energy or a, a financial or a talent resource fill a gap better than you would have imagined? Mm. And I've found over and over it's about the process or the system or whatever word you want to use. Right, right. So let's talk about it. So if an organization does want to make the transition, um, what simple steps can can they take to make it happen? Um, one of the things that we talk about often is this idea of transforming the wisdom within your organization um, to help create that predictable growth engine. Whatever you seek to achieve, start with the wisdom that exists inside your organization. Mm-hmm. Just because we may be more transactional, just because we may be more focused on that zero-sum game doesn't mean we throw it all away. Mm. Um, anyone in our business, Chris, who who really believes in elevating their customers, uh, elevating their clients, is going to start with, what do you do really well? What works already? Why not? Because at the end of the day, any system that you bring into your organization has to be tailored, adapted, and adopted by your organization to make it strategic, unique, and uh, and uh, a piece of the intellectual property that drives your organization and makes your organization special. Mm. So the, a big, the, the big first step, yes, is to focus on process. Uh, but what elements of your process work? What elements do you want to keep? And then how do we uh, integrate those elements into a process that leverages uh, servant leadership? Mm. And when we think about, when we see a process, I should say, that leverages servant leadership, we see that the the process is based on asking the right people the right questions at the right time. All you have to do is think about a process that encourages your team members to ask the right people the right questions at the right time. Now, the right people are the right buyers, 
the right questions are those questions that establish you as an expert in the problems that they incur, that the, those problems, the same problems that you solve, the shared goal. And then at, this, at the right time, meaning you're mirroring their buying cycle. So they're now, they're now walking through a sales process with you that mirrors their buying cycle. And so now instead of fighting you and, being, and feeling like they're being sold, they're working with you and enjoying the process of, of buying. Yeah. I love that. You know, that's, that's servant leadership. You're meeting them where they are. What's their buying cycle? Not yours. How do you want it to work? And, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, you've got a beginner approach that brings a joy and an enthusiasm that isn't super pressuring or hype. But sadly, most people settle for leaving bravado machismo fighting people and stop at the in-between land of joy and enthusiasm, never make it to the advanced promised land of, I'm actually going to figure out what the buyer's buying cycle is and build around that. Right, right. And then all, all of a sudden what happens is, you know, all the calluses, all the skills um, that the sales team has built to handle objections that are really formed from the disconnect between the sales process you want to run and the buying cycle that they want to follow, those go away. Mm. So what's really interesting is the, the feeling that I'm not selling or I'm not really working hard, or I'm not doing my job if it's not difficult, if I'm not facing down these challenges, hmm. that feeling gets uh, is, is challenged right away. It doesn't feel right. But what is amazing is that is the real is when the realization comes that you can be even more successful than you were with less effort, less urgency, less manipulation. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. it's pretty powerful. Well, I love that because the fight you you need energy for the fight. There is a fight, but the fight is for resilience. The fight is for when you're learning new, you're upgrading your skills, making that a part of who you are, leaning into the pain. That's where the fight is. If you're fighting the customer, if you're fighting the client, if you're fighting against what is a natural buying process for them, the methodology that you need to employ, you're actually developing the wrong skills, the manipulation, the bravado, the machizo. And then you're going to have more to unlearn. So some people listening to this now, veterans that have been through these transformations, like you and I have been through in our leadership and lives, man, we had a lot to unlearn. <laughs> How much better for some that are listening to this to not have to unlearn that, but to start with a servant mindset from the beginning. Right, right, right. Real yeah. skills. Yeah. So looking at the process is a great place to start. And it kind of fosters our investment in systems thinking and longevity in terms of execution and performance. Uh, and we compare that to the process that uh, the best process we know for deploying a servant leader centric uh, sales methodology, which is the WINS model, wants, impacts, needs, solutions. And so we compare the sales process the client brings to the table to the optimized process, which is described by WINS. And so the WINS model is actually one that maps out 
your fastest path to cash. And so what we'll do is we'll end up comparing this optimized path to the process that's deployed today, and we'll identify those gaps, mm. uh, any gaps that may exist, um, of course, respecting the things that work, and typically identifying the things that don't work, the things you wish you could change, but maybe thought you couldn't because ah, that's just the way things are in our industry. Uh, a great example of this is uh, when technology companies or product-based companies do a demo. And you often find that the earlier you demo, the more often you demo, and the longer the, the buying cycle is. Mm -hmm. And so what ends up happening is because we choose as salespeople to provide a demo anytime the buyer asks, we might end up presenting two or three or four or five times. And we may end up just focusing on how our stuff works. And we're just feeding into the client's desire to kind of tear apart our solution and compare it to 17 other solutions. Um, and then because the process lasts so long, other priorities pop up and they may not even end up buying any of the solutions they looked at. Uh, but we then participate in and kind of allow them to burn our time. Um, as a servant leader, you would never let that happen. You're, you're not serving their desire to see your demo. You're serving their desire to change their business. Companies look for software because they want to actually change the trajectory of their organization. They want to improve their organization's ability to grow. Uh, that's where the servant leader focuses. So how can this software help impact your desire to grow? And so that's a different conversation than let me walk you through my stuff. And so the purpose of WINS is to, is to talk about the wants and impacts of the change that is sought in the organization, to codify that, to define it, to document the customer's definition of value, and do that with the decision makers and economic approver, the people at the top of the food chain, if you will. And then once you've identified that, and you believe now that there's alignment, and you can serve, um, you can serve that goal. Now it's time to walk them through the path of seeing how they can make the transformation and apply what you bring to the table. Apply your recommendation, and then when a demo occurs, you're not just demoing to show the features and functions or capabilities of your software. At every step. And every piece of, uh, every capability that they like or every capability that delivers a must-have requirement on their side, you can, then, you can then measure the impact of that requirement by asking them what role you th they think this capability, solving this requirement, would have on them achieving their overall objective for the organization. And so that one demo now does a number of things. It shows them how your stuff works, but it attaches your stuff to their must-have requirements, which are then attached to the value proposition you, you built at the beginning of the sales cycle. And so now you're no longer fighting with them over how your stuff works. You're actually showing them how they can leverage what you bring to the table to achieve their ultimate goals and objectives. And yes, that builds a huge value proposition for the client and sets you apart from your customers, but it also lets, I'm sorry, your competition, but it also lets your customers know that you get them, mm. that you can actually truly operate as a partner because you have spent the time understanding not just how to sell them something, but how to deliver them the impact on their organization that they that they ultimately seek. It's an informed, attuned process. 
right? The, uh, that's the idea. I'm connected to you. And uh, when we slow down and do that, I've seen the magic of it so many times. Question for you, though, on like a general wisdom here. This may not be true. It's just, just occurring to me just when I ask it. Do you think it's better to build processes that occur later in the buying cycle so you're not going through uh, unnecessary waste of energy? Oh, give me an example. Yeah, well, like, so with the software example you're using where if they do it later in the buying cycle rather than just trying to sh- run through a bunch of uh, demos on the software mm. that it's it's better. So another way of saying this would be like waiting until the pain point is worse, a little bit more pressing. Um, you could build to solve an early pain point or you could build to solve a later pain yeah. point. Yeah. What's here's here's a here's an idea when it comes to early and late in a buying cycle. Um, when we talk about wins and, and we've talked about that in previous episodes, the wins model is really just based on a universal buying cycle that we've identified that all buyers go through. It doesn't matter what they're buying and all human beings have gone through this cycle since the beginning of trade, right? Back in the stone age, some 2 million years ago. And it's, it's based on answering four questions. The first question the buyer asks is, why change? Why do anything different? Then the buyer will ask, well, why now? Then the buyer will ask, well, why buy anything? Can I solve this myself? And then if they are going to buy something, they'll ask, why you? Why should I buy from you? So every buyer has to ask and answer those questions for themselves. The question that you're asking is, is re- uh, relates back to when the salesperson enters that buying cycle. Do we enter the buying cycle at the beginning when they're just starting to think about change? So for example, I've given the example before about me going to the mall with my kids back when we could go to the mall. Uh, and you know, I'm not interested in the same store as they're interested, so I would go maybe meander and, and window shop. The astute salesperson would see me window shopping and come out and ask me a provocative question that would trigger mm-hmm. my desire to change. Well, it's springtime. Have you have you thought about how you might improve your spring wardrobe? Boom! I've never th- I didn't, I was looking at this stuff just trying to kill time, and if they asked me, "Hey, can I help you?" I would just say, "No, I'm just looking." But if they said to me, "Have you thought about any gaps you might have in your spring wardrobe?" We just happen to have a bunch of new stuff. They just triggered my desire to change. So they're meeting me at the beginning of the sales process, and they're using the demo, the the demonstration of their spring wardrobe for a specific person, the purpose. They've asked me the right question. They've asked the right person the right question at the right time. And they're they're showing this to me as a way to um, initiate that change. The challenge with most situations, most, most sales organizations, is they enter the sales process, or the buying process late. They enter the buying process when the client is now just looking for solutions. And they've already gone through and answered for themselves why change, why now, and why buy anything. And now they're just thinking about why you. And so all the salesperson can do now is pitch and pitch and pitch and demo and demo to try to convince the client that their solution is the best. It's the classic dog and pony show. It's the classic RFP process. When we find ourselves in that situation as salespeople, we, we have to recognize it. And then, then we have to go back to the beginning. We have to ask them, look, why change? 
because we have to understand whether or not they have followed the buying their buying cycle in an appropriate way. They've decided, for example, what solution is best for them. I don't know that that's really best for them. Mm-hmm. I am the expert, not them. So I have to, I owe it to them and I owe it to myself to go back to the beginning. So what, was the, what were the goals that originally drove your decision to buy uh, a custom set of clothing this season? Well, I went, looked at my wardrobe and I saw some gaps in the spring. And so I just thought instead of buying off the rack, I want to spend 10 grand and just have stuff, some stuff made for me. Okay, great. Well, so where are you going to wear this stuff? And then you ask about the impact of having it or not. You'd ask about the stuff that can be repurposed in their in their wardrobe, right? Do you really need to have this? And so you'd help them redefine the problem. Maybe you decide together that their solution of having everything custom made probably isn't the best for them. You've now served them in a way that no other salesperson might have. They might have just taken the money and run um, by redefining the problem that they thought they were solving. Yeah. And so to your point, Chris, I and this it. may be getting too deep, you know, how many demos is right and, 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 and what is the context of those demos really going to be driven by where the buyer is in the process when you enter and how astute you are in terms of helping them redefine the problem that they're actually solving. Yeah. What, what's powerful, and this just clicked with, thanks, so thank you, is the, the skill of keeping them, not letting them stay in the lane they're in, but like you said, taking them back to the beginning. And uh, just the wording on that today was a little bit different that colored it in even more. Uh, so thank you. Yeah. I mean, I'm actually, it's painful because I'm thinking through something last week and uh, and I didn't win. Uh, you know, winning, lose, right? The zero-sum game. <laughs> but I did slow down and do the process enough that from a positive sum, he got clear on the solution that was being offered and it was decided that another solution was needed. And I agreed, yeah. right? So it was uh, a positive sum game. Positive well, sum game. That's, I mean, that is, that is ultimately the objective of a servant leader, which is one reason why a servant leader never loses, mm-hmm. right? The servant leader practicing this approach for us, our goal is not the transaction. Our goal is a successful buying decision. So now, of course, in your situation, the successful buying decision was not did not include you. Now, we don't want that. That's not optimal. But we, we have to, we know that sales is a game of probability. We have to expect that that's going to happen. But if we, if everything that we do is always driven by the shared goal, and walking the client down the shared path, and the shared path happens to be that universal buying cycle, you're both following the buying cycle, um, then you can't lose. Because either you're always going to be serving the client, you're always going to be building your brand in the eyes of the client, you're always going to be doing what's best for them, and they're always going to be seeing this and appreciating it. And whether or not they buy from you uh, doesn't impact whether you, whether, whether you succeeded or not. It just impacts an outcome one outcome from one interaction. You're gonna if you're if you're playing the long game, you know you're gonna be around for a long time. You know they're gonna have needs moving forward. You know they're gonna talk to people. Yeah, I talked with Chris, I went the other way. And you know what? The guys that I'm working with, they're okay, but they're not 
they're not what I expected. Mm-hmm. If I were you, I'd go talk to Chris. Right on. You know, you're going to get that happening. I love it. I love it. I mean, that's, yeah. Part of, for people that listen along and stay on this journey and stay engaged, hearing us talk through this, I mean, that's how it gets deeper. You know, I'm learning. We're, if we approach life and we're open-hearted and we want to grow, and that's the thing, you know, it's skills. It's everything we're talking about right now in this section. It's skills. It takes reinforcement. Yeah. And you're following, I think I love your example of this idea of beginner pro master, right? As beginners, we're just learning the notes. Mm -hmm. As professionals, we're putting those notes together and we're actually performing songs that people can recognize. But when we're masters, we're moving beyond that. We're actually writing our own music. Mm. We're actually creating something that resonates with us, not something that fits a norm or a standard that is accepted by everyone else. Uh, And that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about, just look at all the best salespeople that you've ever met out there, the people who really inspire you. And and if there's a situation where they're performing and you can't figure out how they do it, and they try to teach you and you can't replicate their results, um, you have to ask yourself, why is that? Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's because they've reached a level of mastery that you haven't gotten to yet. The question is, you know, can can you get there? Can you can you set a standard for yourself that will allow you to live up to the potential that you have to achieve that same level of mastery? And what the wins model does for me and what it has done for clients since we've been we've started using it back in 2011-2012 is it sets that standard. It sets that high bar that uh, our clients try to live up to. They work to live up to. And it releases them from the constraints of the beginner pro kind of operating model and allows them to perform at that masterful level. And so in that context, Chris, it's something, it's a model that everyone can relate to, regardless of their number of years in the business, because it's something that feeds that ambition, but allows them to become who they want to become someone who's aligned with their core values, uh, not someone that they don't want to be so they can feel like a winner or not yeah. feel like a loser. Yeah. Dude, that, then you're, that becomes who your organization is, who your team is, and that's who you start attracting, right? Which I know hits the piece that follows skills. It's been a pleasure, my man. Thanks for yeah. the time. It was uh, energizing. Heck yeah, always. Thanks for listening. If you've learned something or were inspired to try something new, please rate the podcast and share this episode with someone you know. If you'd like to learn more, visit and connect with me, James, at floristgroup.com, F-L-O-R-I-S-S group.com. And if you want to connect with me, Chris, check out SightShift, S-I-G-H-T, shift.com. Peace.